Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I am your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very, very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, and I just want to thank everybody who has shown interest in the show, all the listeners out there all over the world. Hello, all the ones in America. Hello, all the ones in Texas. Hello and howdy. And thank you guys for showing so much interest in the new experimental me doing readings for you. It's kind of fun. Uh, yes, uh, thank you uh, to all of our uh, listeners uh, all over uh, our great country and all over this wonderful world of ours. Um, and uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, uh, welcome. Um, we're actually going to be doing something uh, a little different this one. We're going to involve maybe a little bit more magic than there is in uh, usual episodes of History in Retrograde. Um, but uh, the basic format will still apply. Uh, I will... Uh, uh, give my mom the astrological birth data of a random historical figure. Uh, you, the listening audience, already know who that person is. It is in the title of today's episode. I know who it is because I selected the person. But mom, do you have any idea who this person's going to be? No, I never know what's happening. <laughs> And uh, keeping mom in the dark is exactly what makes this episode uh, such a uh, fun experiment. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I will give her that data. She will create an astrological birth chart, uh, and then, uh, read that chart to the best of her ability, uh, giving us uh, what she can about the person's personality, motivations, characteristics, fortunes. I'll ask a few discussion questions, uh, then reveal who our mystery history guest is. We'll come together at the end and, uh, discover, uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so, 
Uh, now, let us get to our uh, little bit of magic here. Uh, we will actually, uh, we're through the power of imagination, uh, Mom and I are actually going to be transported uh, through time and space. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we are, uh, zooming through time and space and we, uh, now find ourselves, uh, in a castle, uh, in England. Uh, it is, uh, the year 1554. Uh, we are, uh, in the office or laboratory of a man named John D. Uh, D is a uh, mathematician and an astrologer. Uh, he has uh, been consulted uh, by many people in the English crown. And uh, But we're looking around, and, Mom, do you see John here? Uh, no. No, he is not here. Uh, I guess he's gone off uh, to do some business, but, uh, uh, well, well, suddenly I hear... Well, that, that's a knocking at the door. Well, let, let me let me go over to the door and, and see uh, uh, who is there. Uh, uh, hello. Hello there. Art thou John D? Uh, uh, well, no, sir. Uh, I, uh, my name's Chandler, and this is my mom. Uh, mom, hi. say hi. Hello. Yeah. Uh, 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 we uh, are not John D. We are actually looking for him. Well... I have an urgent message from a young lady who has been kept in house arrest. Uh, she desperately needs John D.'s services, his astrological knowledge. Uh, she needs her chart to be read. The fate of her life and the fate of our kingdom depends on the reading of this chart. <gasps> Uh, well, uh, John D. is not here, but I'm sure uh, that uh, we can handle this. Uh, Mom is an expert astrologer here, and uh, as long as uh, the Wi-Fi is working in the castle, we'll be able to get this done for you uh, lickety-split. What are you talking about with Wi-Fi, sir? Oh, don't worry about that. Uh, so, uh, yes, just give me the paper there. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, we will uh, handle this uh, for you and uh, get you a reading to you uh, very quickly. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, my. Uh, so, uh, this is a, a, a pretty interesting uh, set of circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yes. Um, we are now going to uh, read the astrological chart of uh, this young lady <laughs> and uh, the fate of her life and of the Kingdom of England does depend on it, but mom, no pressure, okay? <laughs> just uh, just uh, take it easy and uh, let's see what we come up with. Okay. Uh, so, uh, this is a female. Okay. Uh, born on the 7th of September. Okay. 1533 JUL. That is the Julian calendar. Okay. Uh, at the time, 2.54 p.m. Oh. Well. All right. Uh, the country is England. So Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Not not quite yet, but yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Greenwich. Okay. So uh, this is a female born September 7th, 1533. That is in the Julian calendar. 2.54 p.m. in Greenwich, England. Um, where 
Where should I begin here? Well, I guess what I'll do is I'll start with the planets. So we have Sun at 24 degrees Virgo, Moon at 7 degrees Taurus, Mercury at 15 degrees Libra, Venus at 4 degrees Libra, Mars at 13 degrees Gemini, Jupiter at 20 degrees Sagittarius, Saturn at 23 degrees Cancer, Uranus at 17 degrees Cancer, Neptune at 29 degrees Pisces, Pluto at 0 degrees Aquarius, with North Node at 25 degrees Leo, and Chiron at 8 degrees Aries. So those are her planets. Um, with And we would consider this a splash chart. Yes, this is absolutely a splash chart. As you can see, there are planets just about all the way around the clock face of the astrology chart. So definitely a splash chart. And I am going with Placidus houses as I usually do, which doesn't do whole equal houses. Um, I was trained to do it this way and that's how I do it. So um, in this situation, we have this person has their uh, ascendant at six degrees Capricorn. They have Pluto at zero degrees Aquarius in their first house. Interesting placement for Pluto because it's right on the cusp. And I know that there are a lot of people that don't uh, agree with cusp astrology, but I do. And everyone has the right to believe whatever they like. Um, with it being at zero degrees uh, Aquarius, you have a certain amount of Capricorn involved with this Pluto in the first house. And uh, Pluto in the first house tends to bring power. People who have Pluto in the first house have a powerful presence. They are um, hard to ignore. They, uh, whether they are really big and bolsterous or just a quiet presence, either way, they're going to be very powerful. They also have an all or nothing attitude about them. They're either completely in or they are not involved at all. Um, having Pluto at zero degrees is going to give this person aspects of Capricorn, uh, financial, workaholic, um, uh, very uh, strategic in their planning, and uh, this person would appear um, to be elegant and sophisticated. At the same time, because this person has their Pluto at zero degrees Aquarius, they're going to have a lot of humanitarian aspects, unless it is that really dark side of Aquarius, which is complete totalitarianism. Um, but this person would be seen as an authority in their day-to-day. -day. Usually people who have Pluto in the first house are seen as an authority in something, whatever they do in their day-to-day. -day. Um, second house is uh, ruled by Aquarius, even though their Pluto is in the first house. Their second house is ruled by Aquarius. 
but it is just a tiny bit because it's Placidus. And uh, then most of their second house is uh, Pisces, which is completely contained in their second house, okay? Which is going to make their third house cusp Aries. You see how this is, Chandler? Mm-hmm. Here? Okay, so they have Neptune at 29 degrees Pisces, which is very interesting because here we have Pluto at zero degrees, all right, which is a cusp. And then we have Neptune at 29 degrees, which is also a cusp. So their Neptune is at home in Pisces uh, because Neptune rules Pisces. But they also have some aspects of Aries there because it's on the cusp. And their Chiron is conjunct their Neptune, even though their Chiron is in Aries and their Neptune is in Pisces. But this is second house, the house of values and valuables and things that you love. And uh, because it's ruled by Venus and the house is ruled by Libra, but Venus rules Libra. And so you have these Venusian aspects, but they're in Pisces. So Pisces can be very... Uh, imaginative and artistic and creative and um, psychic and uh, otherworldly and uh, then Aries is the warrior. So we have kind of the situation where it is possible that this person could use supernatural talents in war situations, which is interesting. And then they also have Chiron there in Aries, but it's still on the cusp of Aries because it's only eight degrees. But Chiron is the wounded healer, so um, there is some issue with belongings and valuables and things like this possibly in childhood, maybe having lost everything and then regaining it or um, becoming familiar with valuable things or finding um, Aries things and Martian things to be valuable, maybe uh, some sort of value in armies and military or something along that line. Then... We have third house cusp is Aries, but we have the moon in Taurus there, okay? So having moon in third house is very, um, very close to the mother in childhood, um, a very loving mother, a very maybe doting mother. Uh, or uh, uh, communication through women, because third house is ruled by Gemini, and communication and Mercury. So there's some sort of uh, communication with women or an association with women or women in the childhood or um, a love of uh, feminine things um, there. Okay, then we have fourth house, cusp is Taurus. There is nothing in the fourth fourth house, but having your fourth house ruled by Taurus would give you that also, that Venusian 
uh, very comforting, very comfortable, very nice things, uh, foods and um, comfortable, beautiful things. Not the same kind of beauty as Libra would have, where Libra is more um, labels and uh, um, uh, more elegant. Uh, Taurus is also elegant, but more earthy than the Libra items, okay? Um, then fifth house cusp is Gemini. And that's very interesting because this person has Mars in Gemini in um, the fifth house, which would make them kind of childlike in a way, because Mars is your passion and your your um, uh, drive and your ambition and your uh, sexuality and your... Um, uh, um, how you approach things, how you reach your goals. And this is in a sign ruled by Mercury, which is uh, communications. So somehow this person is very driven by their communications in their creativity, in their romance, in their um, adventures, and their uh, leadership. Um, because a fifth house is ruled by Leo, which is all the Leo things, but Mars is also kind of childlike, and Mars in Gemini is kind of childlike, but it would be very communicative, uh, talkative, um, so there's those things. Then, uh, sixth house is still ruled by Gemini, okay? Uh, which we have nothing in that actual house, but it would it would lead this person to be very um, communicative with their work. Like their work has to do with communications. Their work has to do with um, very quick thinking, uh, fast thoughts, and um, possibly even uh, high intelligence. Very maybe educated or self-educated. Uh, seventh house is ruled by Cancer. And in this house, we have Uranus conjunct Saturn in Cancer and North Node in Leo. Uh, this is very interesting because uh, having... Saturn in Cancer is one thing. That is your aspects coming from nurturing, learning to nurture, learning to um, be caring and almost motherly with your partners. And then Uranus there is not as comfortable in Cancer. Uranus, Uranus is ruled by uh, I mean, Uranus rules Aquarius, right? So it's very quick, unexpected things, unexpected things happening with partners, unexpected things happening maybe with children, Une just a lot of unexpected uh, lightning striking kind of things. Also brilliance, some aspects of brilliance and possibly psychic ability because it's cancer 
and maybe it's i mean it, uranus is technology it, it it can be the onset of war it, it's unexpected things that shake everything that that bring about unexpected changes okay and then in that house also is north node in leo and uh, north node in leo is a need to pursue leadership or leo things but in it could be um leading partnerships it could be instigating partnerships it, it has to do with romantic partners partnerships contracts uh, negotiations and contracts legal matters things like this but it's in leo so it's very driven and am ambitious and also needs to be in the limelight kind of needs to be in the limelight this partner uh, with their partners somehow they're in the limelight then eighth house cusp is leo but in the eighth house we have a sun in virgo and um, venus in libra so this is very interesting because their sun and their venus are conjunct in the eighth house with this virgo libra energy and eighth house is your partner's money uh your partner your sexuality and so having venus there leads to have some kind of uh perhaps taboo loving situations um or liking things that are like material things that are taboo or considered taboo um th the sun there is going to make this person uh if the sun in virgo is going to make this person very organized with this legacy eighth house is also legacy and secret things and hidden things eighth house is ruled by scorpio so it's the occult um this person could be involved with the occult or um things along that nature then we have uh, uh ninth house is ninth house cusp is libra and the mercury is there so this mercury in libra is going to be a very interesting placement because uh this person is very vocal and verbal about their dogma and their beliefs and travel there's also uh communication like like communication through travel long distance travel and uh discussing possibly higher education or higher ways of learning things um this person would be a negotiator because it's in Libra. So this person would be capable of seeing both sides of everything, but also, so in their in their thought process, in the way that they in their belief system, uh, they can see both sides of things, but they are still communicating about their beliefs and their um 
education and travel. Um, then we have 10th house cusp and the midhaven for this person is in Scorpio. They don't have anything in their 10th house, but Scorpio on the 10th house is going to have um, a, a, a kind of a mysterious way about their career. Their career involves mysteriousness. They are, everything is not revealed in how they, in how the other people see them because 10th house is also like fame and father and um, uh, government and, and, and uh, things that rule. Um, and so there's some kind of mystery, mysterious situation there. Then we have uh, 11th house cusp is Sagittarius and uh, we don't have anything in the 11th house, but having Sagittarius there would make this person very, um, I would assume uh, they could be considered a, um, a person who rides into a situation almost like they could be like a folk hero kind of person it's possible this person could be very opinionated and could be opinionated in front of groups of people then they do have jupiter in sagittarius but that is falling in their 12th house which is also ruled by sagittarius see that both of these are ruled by sagittarius chandler mm -hmm. okay so um in this situation uh, we have uh, Jupiter in the 12th house, which is um, very interesting because it's like a lot benevolence with uh, karma and um, psychic abilities, um, illusion, um, uh, Things that have to do with Neptune and Pisces and, um, what do I want to say? Also kind of Jupiter in Sagittarius is going to be a, a wealth of information and, uh, knowledge and, um, wanting more knowledge. Is any of this making any sense? Uh, well, let me just say that I think that this is the fastest you have ever gone through this. <laughs> um, all of this came to you uh, lightning quick. And, uh, it was at times very difficult for me to write the notes all down. But everything that you have said is exactly um, what this person was. Wow. Okay, fine. Well, I didn't know I was going that fast, but um, I would say that uh, this is a very dynamic, very interesting person who um, I guess could be considered a fair, like a fair leader, like like can see both sides maybe, but um, it, do you have any questions? Yes. Um... What is their relationship like with their father? Okay, for the father, we go to the son. 
and that is in Virgo. But also we have 10th house is represents the father, the house itself. So this person has son in Virgo. So their father could have been perceived as a very uh, analytical man. It could be uh, the aspect of Virgo that is very hardworking. It could be the aspect of Virgo that is very um, precise. But it also could be the aspect of Virgo that would be sort of like medical, uh, doctor or healing kind of situation. But see, with the 10th house then in Scorpio, it could be that this person has hidden things like or has to do with the occult or um, things that are not revealed or secret things or mysterious things. And what uh, is their relationship to their mother? Well, um, the mother is represented by the moon and this person has moon in Taurus and um, this person uh, has moon in the third house, the house of childhood and early learning and, and siblings. So I would think that this person had a really good relationship with their mother. In the worst case scenario, Taurus can be really overbearing and stubborn, but I like to look at the light side, which would make this, uh, you know, Taurus is ruled by Venus. That would give a very loving, it should give a very loving mother. And how would they uh, act with their siblings? Say, say again? Siblings. Uh, how would they, what's their relationship with their siblings? Well, um, they have Aries on the third house cusp. So it is possible that they were very competitive with their siblings, that they were um, very physically fit and, and, and even physical with their with their siblings it's possible uh, Aries would be um, uh, fierce pretty fierce I mean I would imagine with this person this person would be kind of fierce with their siblings but also Aries are so protective if you have someone with Aries in their uh, placements in their chart and they are close to you then you need to know that that person would probably step up and fight a dinosaur or a dragon for you, you know? So there's mm -hmm. that. Uh, what role would religion play in her life? Well, this person has uh, Mercury in their ninth house. And ninth house is religion and dogma and beliefs and... Uh, um, um, you know, like university education, higher learning, um, uh, world travel, uh, research, things like this. So I would imagine that this person's beliefs and religions were very important to them because they should be a person who speaks of this often. And again, with it being in Libra, they should be very... Um, fair about how they approach this meaning you know libra is libra is a scale so they should have a balance of how they are communicating their beliefs 
Okay. And um, what kind of student uh, would she be? I would imagine that this person would be a fairly good student. Uh, this person has Mars and Gemini, which would have a drive for information and uh, um, ambitious about gathering information and gathering information for their day-to-day. I would assume because they have a sun in Virgo in the eighth house that they should be very capable of learning very detailed things. Uh, They have North Node in Leo, which would make them also be very driven. Um, With it in the seventh house, it's more driven in partnerships and uh, contracts and and, and agreements and things like that. But um, and then Jupiter in Sagittarius is really just you know, all-consuming knowledge, just wanting to learn as much as possible. Uh, Can you tell us anything about romantic partnerships? Well, this person has North Node in Leo, as well as Saturn and Uranus in Cancer in their seventh house. So this person has to learn partnerships. This person has to uh, have long-term committed partnerships. But with Uranus there, um, pretty much conjunct in Cancer, the situation is dealing with unexpected situations with partners. Dealing with maybe accidents or I mean literally Uranus is like a lightning strike or a bomb going off something like that so very unexpected situations that happen out of the blue with partners and how does she view romance well she has North Node in Leo in the seventh house so I would imagine she would be extremely romantic. Leos are known for being extremely romantic and very very grandiose with their um, displays of romance. And this person has North Node and Leo in the seventh house, so I can only assume that she would be very grandiose with her romantic gestures and how she loves and how dramatic it is. Um, what role would she play in a group project? Okay, let me just say also, in this situation, it is possible that with this North Node in Leo, uh, in the seventh house, this person would have to be a leader. And if they are having to be a leader, then they might not be able to do the romantic stuff. So that's a possibility. But um, what role would this person play in a group? Is that the question? Yeah, like a group project. Well, this person has Sagittarius on the 11th house, but they don't have anything in that house. And Sagittarians tend to be kind of loners. 
I think that this person would want to be the leader of the group project and maybe more. Um, I don't know. I don't see this person really being super into groups of people, like being into it. They're they're better off kind of on their own, um, coming up with the, with strategies and and things like that. But they might be the person who contributes a lot of the information to the group because Sagittarius is information. Where would you find her at a party? Probably holding court in some way. Probably being the speaker. Um, possibly relaying information. This person has Capricorn rising, so they're not necessarily going to be jumping out in the middle of everything, you know? So, the North Node in Leo... North Node and Leo kind of, if they're following the North Node, which is what they're supposed to do, they sort of don't have a choice but to be out in front of people. Uh, would you describe this a person as methodical or reactionary? I believe because this person has Sun in Virgo, uh, that would make them very methodical. Their moon is in Taurus, which a Taurus can have a really scary temper, but they are more likely to consider all the alternatives before they just have had enough and they're at the end of it and then they explode and then that's really scary. Um, they have Mars in Gemini, which would make them talk about... Uh, anything that they were having to deal with that was coming at them, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, something that they would need to react to. So I guess they're more, if I only have reactionary or methodical, I'm going to go with methodical. Okay. Um, can't you keep a secret? Maybe. <laughs> It depends on how deep into the philosophies and the um, behaviors of the Libra that it is. Because this person has Mars and Gemini. Geminis can be known for talking with tea. They can definitely talk about, you know, the, the, the gossip. Um, moon in... Uh, tours could give them like if they care about the person then they could probably keep a secret uh, but the Mercury in Libra conjunct Venus in Libra uh, with that Mars in Gemini um, six of one half a dozen of the other it just depends on I if I knew who this was and I knew their personality I could tell you oh this is going to work to help them keep the secret, right? Because this is who they are. It is important to them to keep this cloaked because this person has both, okay? 
this person has the ability to be really talkative and very um uh, I mean like really talkative and very uh, you know able to spread the word you know what I mean so I don't know about that secret keeping ability if they had Mercury and Scorpio I'd be like to the grave <laughs> they would keep the secret to the grave so you know how would she deal with authority well, North Node in Leo tends to make you think you are the authority. You don't do well with um, authority. Also, Jupiter in Sag is not going to do well with authority either because they are uh, full-on uh, feral. So <laughs> Sagittarians can be very feral. <laughs> they don't do well with authority. Um, Pluto in the first house, also kind of all or nothing in Capricorn, could feel very authoritative. So I don't think this person would do extremely well with someone trying to, like, really hold them down. You know what I mean? Okay. But they do have Saturn and Uranus and Cancer. But man, they got a lot of other stuff that tells me they really aren't going to go for that, you know, tying them up thing very well. Mm hmm. So, uh, on uh, this piece of paper that I have that uh, our uh, gruff uh, English gentleman provided us, mm -hmm. there are two questions. Mm hmm. Uh, one of them says, uh, do you see anything here that would tell you if she is going to die young or live a long life? Hmm. Well, uh, she has Sun and Venus in the eighth house. But, I mean, she has Jupiter in the 12th house. I don't really see anything that tells me that she would die young or not. If she had, you know, Uranus more involved, I'd be like, okay, well, she, you know, she had a terrible accident. But, um, I don't see anything specifically in the chart that tells me if she will or will not die young. Usually people who have planets in the first house tend to live longer and people who have Sagittarius, uh, who have Capricorn rising because it's ruled by Saturn, which is time and a long time, they tend to live longer. So. Uh, the other question is, uh, would she be a good ruler? Well, that is a matter of how she deals with all this power, you know? Um, Leo can be a very good ruler. Leo is the king. Um, and it's in her seventh house, so she has the potential to be a very good ruler. Um, she has Capricorn rising, which could make her very 
level-headed and have the ability to rule in a very good parental way. I would, by just looking at this, I wouldn't think she was a bad ruler. I would think she was a good fair ruler. That's what I like to think about people when I look at their charts. <laughs> uh, is there uh, anything else uh, in this chart uh, that you uh, haven't talked about already? I don't think so. I think it's going to help to know if I know who this is. If I even know who it is, it's going to help to know who they are and, and more how they used these gifts, you know, like having Neptune in Pisces at 29 degrees. It's pretty amazing for, you know, abilities, natural abilities, creative abilities, being very creative with your values and things like that, you know, so... I think I have to wait until I hear uh, who this is and if I know them. <laughs> okay, uh, well then, at this time, I think uh, let us uh, go through uh, the findings uh, from our uh, chart here. Uh, the first thing that she said was that uh, she would have a powerful presence. Uh, she would be hard to ignore. Uh, she would either be big and boisterous or have a quiet dignity about her. Um, but in any sense, uh, the, the presence that she would give to a room would emit power. Mm -hmm. uh, she ha could have an all-or-nothing uh, lookout on life. Um, she could be powerful in finances, a workaholic. Um, she uh, could be elegant, uh, a humanitarian. Uh, an authority. Uh, she could be creative and psychic, otherworldly. She could use supernatural talents in war. Uh, there uh, could be issues with belongings. Uh, she could have lost everything in childhood and then regained it. Uh, Martian things would be found valuable. Military things. There is a value in military things. Uh, she could have a very loving mother. Uh, there's something to do with communication with women, women in the childhood, a love of feminine things. Uh, she would have a love of comforting things and food, uh, driven in communication and creativity in adventures and in romance. Uh, she could be very talkative. Uh, work could have uh, something to do with uh, communication. Uh, she could be quick-thinking, uh, have fast thoughts. She could be very well-educated. Uh, uh, part of her life goal is to uh, be learning to nurture. Uh, she could be mother, uh, mothering with partners. The quick, unexpected things happen with partners and possibly children. Uh, she has a certain brilliance about her, uh, possibly a psychic ability. Unexpected things shake up everything. Uh, she uh, has a need to pursue leadership. She would be leading in partnerships. Uh, she would be instigating partnerships. She is driven and ambitious. Needs to be in the limelight with partners. Uh, there could be some taboo uh, things involving uh, uh, her, her romantic life and loving situations. Uh, she would like material things. 
Uh, and there is, uh, she could be very organized with her legacy. Uh, there could be some connection to the occult. She is very vocal about her dogma. Uh, she uh, is involved in communicating about things over long distances, communicating about religion and education. Uh, she uh, would be fair, can see both sides of issues, uh, communicate about education. There is a um, mysterious way about uh, her career, uh, mysterious uh, mystery connected to fame, mystery connected to the father, mystery connected to the government. Um, she is a person who would be seen as someone who rides into a situation. She could be a folk hero. Uh, she would be very opinionated. Uh, there is a benevolence with karma, uh, a psychic ability. Uh, she is very much tied to illusion. Uh, there is a wealth of information, uh, knowledge, a thirst for knowledge. Uh, very dynamic and would be a very fair leader. Uh, the father could be an analytical man, hardworking. Uh, the father also is connected to hidden things, secret things, mysterious things. Uh, mother, uh, she would have a very good relationship with her mother. Uh, the mother could possibly be overbearing and stubborn. Uh, there is a, a competitive nature that she has with her siblings, uh, sometimes a physical uh, competition with siblings. She would be seen as fierce in these competitions, but uh, could be very protective of her siblings as well. Uh, religion is uh, very important, and she speaks of it often. Uh, there is a, a fairness that she has about religion. Uh, she would be a good student. Uh, there is a drive for information. Uh, she is very ambitious. Uh, she would be driven in partnerships, in contracts and negotiations. There is a thirst for knowledge. Uh, she uh, has to learn in partnerships, uh, long-term uh, committed partnerships. Dealing with unexpected things with partners. Uh, she could be extremely romantic. Uh, grandiose gestures of her affection. Uh, she has to be a leader. Uh, though because of her drive for leadership, she may not be allowed to have the romances that she wants. Uh, she, uh, in a group setting, she would be a leader. Uh, and, or she would not be interested in being a group at all, uh, would prefer to work alone. Uh, she uh, would contribute information in a group setting. Uh, she, uh, at a party, you would find her holding court. Uh, she uh, has a lot of information about religion. Uh, she would have to be in front of people. Uh, she could be very methodical. Uh, she uh, needs to uh, talk, uh, uh, and, and uh, she needs to talk, but uh, in the end, uh, she... so she'd be very methodical, uh, and when something occurs, she needs to talk with others about how she is going to uh, react to a situation. Uh, she could be good at keeping secrets, um, but could also be uh, very uh, 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 gossipy uh, in spilling these secrets. It all depends on how these secrets affect her. Uh, she is an authority. 
she does not work well with outside authorities. Uh, she uh, would not do well with someone trying to domineer her. Um... When uh, getting to the main two questions, uh, would she die young? There's nothing in the chart to uh, indicate that she would die young. Uh, and then, uh, would she be a good ruler? She has the potential to be a good ruler, level-headed, rule in a uh, parental way. She has the potential to be a good, fair ruler. Is there anything that I've left out? Yes, you asked me about the secrets, and if the secrets have to do with her career, uh, because she has Scorpio on the 10th house, and because she has Scorpio as her midhaven, uh, the, that that qualifies as that. The, those secrets would never be told. Um, the darkest side of Pluto is possibly, I mean, she has Pluto in the first house, so it is possible that she could die young, but um, I don't know. She's got that Saturn rising, if that Saturn rising is correct. But in this situation, honestly, knowing the time that it was, 1533, uh, these people didn't necessarily live that long anyway, so there's that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's that kind of covers everything. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, let, let's uh, summon our uh, our English uh, gentleman friend. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, there, sir. Yes, are you done? Yes, uh, we are. We have uh, the chart. It is all here, and you here. You can have a copy. And uh, to answer your questions, um, well, uh, my mom says that there's nothing here uh, that would say that she is going to uh, die early. Um, but, you know, it is the 1550s, so we all kind of die all the time anyway. Oh, yes, that's very true. That's very true. And uh, also, she has the potential to be a very good ruler. Uh, so here, here's the notes, and uh, go ahead and take this off uh, to uh, the young lady there. Oh, yes, well, Lady Elizabeth will be very pleased. So, this is... The Astrological Birth Chart of Queen Elizabeth I. Okay, that's great. That is very, very interesting. That is very interesting. Oh my, yes. Well, uh, I can't wait to hear all about her because, I mean, I know a certain amount about her and she's very um, romanticized in all of history and you know her mysterious ways and her mysterious maybe lovers the virgin queen but i'm very excited to hear what you have to say chandler so first off the reason for our little uh radio play here is that this is pretty much exactly this situation happened. I'm sure that the gentleman who came to John D. had a better English accent than myself, <laughs> uh, because he was actually from the place. But um, while Elizabeth was being held captive uh, under house arrest, she uh, sent uh, a message to the astrologer John D. and asked uh, if she uh, was in imminent danger, if she was going to be executed, um, and uh, if she would be a good ruler. 
Uh, and John D uh, came to a very similar conclusion <gasps> that uh, uh, that she uh, would not die imminently, <laughs> and uh, that she would be a very good ruler. Um, John D uh, actually he did this by comparing the astrological charts of both Queen Elizabeth and her sister, the reigning monarch, Queen Mary, um, and finding out uh, uh, that Queen Mary was going to be dying very soon. Uh Um, But um, that would have taken us a much longer time, so I figured that we would shortcut and just (laughs) talk about Queen Elizabeth. Um. This, as I did research for this, uh, I found that Queen Elizabeth led such a miraculous life that uh, we could be here for hours uh, going into all of it. So much like I did with the uh, Nixon and Kennedy episodes, uh, we're going to cover just her early life, everything that she did up to the point where she was uh, coronated, because that is enough uh, for for an episode. And then we can come back and uh, look at her charts on certain days as we go forward through our seasons and uh, cover more of her life as we go forward. Um, But she led such a rich life that uh, just the first 25 years uh, will uh, suffice uh, for us today. (laughs) So, uh, Queen Elizabeth was born Elizabeth Tudor, uh, September 7th, 1533, in the Julian calendar. Uh, Her father uh, was Henry VIII. Uh, and uh, her mother was Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry VIII, uh, this was a, a very uh, um, eagerly awaited child. Uh, Henry had uh, gotten excommunicated uh, in his pursuit of <laughs> uh, a child with Anne Boleyn. Uh, he was married to Catherine of Aragon, and he uh, divorced her and ended up creating his own church in order to do so, <laughs> so that he could marry Anne Boleyn. And all of the astrologers that Henry VIII consulted said that this child was destined to be a boy. Mm. Uh, those astrologers were incorrect. <laughs> uh, he was very upset, but still, uh, just three days after Elizabeth was born, um, there was a christening, and she was uh, crowned uh, Princess Elizabeth, the heir apparent mm-hmm. um, that uh, she, if King Henry died, would be uh, the Queen of England. Mm-hmm. Um, that was He had another daughter before. Her name was Mary. Um, but uh, because Mary would not acknowledge uh, her father's divorce and would not acknowledge that she was um, a bastard, according to her father, mm-hmm. um, she was no longer considered to be the heir apparent. Uh, so uh, the three-day-old Elizabeth was crowned um, as the heir apparent as Princess Elizabeth. Um, that was done on September 10th of 1533. Um, all of this was uh, uh, very much a scandal uh, to everyone living all over Europe. Um, there were French diplomats who did not recognize Anne Boleyn and certainly didn't recognize Elizabeth. They called Anne Boleyn the whore, and they called mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth the bastard. Even the clerics who were doing the bapti- uh, the, the baptism of Elizabeth, uh, when asked uh, about the water uh, that uh, they were going to use to christen the child, um, and what the temperature of the water would be, uh, one of the clerics was said uh, to say afterwards that the water was hot, but not nearly hot enough. Oh, my. Um, 
But regardless uh, of of that, she was christened. She was made a princess. Um, and, but uh, Henry continued to try to have that male child. Um, Anne Boleyn uh, was uh, not able to provide that, or Henry was not able to provide that most accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, because there was no male child after three years, um, there was a, a considerable uh, amount of distrust on Henry's part. And uh, he decided that Anne uh, was not only an adulterer, was going outside <laughs> of the marriage to have um, relations with other men, that one of those men was her own brother. Oh my. And so uh, he uh, gave the charges of adultery mm-hmm. and incest. And uh, when Elizabeth was just three years old, on May 19th of 1536, um, mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn, her mother, was beheaded. Mm-hmm. The only saving grace that she had was that uh, Henry ordered that it not be done with the hacking of an axe, but instead with a very sharp sword. Mm -hmm. And so it happened in one clean shot. Mm -hmm. Um, Immediately, young Elizabeth was declared a bastard herself. Uh, And 10 days later, uh, Henry uh, married the third wife, Jane Seymour. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, just a year after that, uh, Henry finally got the son that he had been waiting for. Uh, Jane Seymour gave birth to young Edward, Mm -hmm. and uh, Edward was made the heir apparent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, this brought another level of confusion into Elizabeth's life. Up to this point, she had been a princess. She Mm -hmm. had been uh, uh, doted upon by the court. Um, But now she finds herself three years old and the governess, um, Margaret Bryan, has no idea how to treat her. Mm -hmm. Do I treat her the same as I have? Do I now punish her for something she's never done? Mm -hmm. Uh, She wrote to Thomas Cromwell uh, uh, asking him, how do I treat uh, this young woman? Uh, uh, Does she still eat the same foods that she has? And in the letter, she desperately pleads for new clothes uh, for the young uh, lady. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. That she has outgrown all of the clothes that she has. Um, and she is interested to know where does she eat? Does she eat in her own room away from the rest of the court? Um, or can she still go to the court to have her meals? Um, there was a, a, a very strong connection between uh, the governess, uh, Brian, and uh, young Elizabeth. Uh, she was quoted as saying uh, that Elizabeth was as toward a child and having uh, as gentle condition as I have ever seen. Hmm. Um, But eventually she was the governess for the heir apparent and Elizabeth was no longer the heir apparent. And so uh, Margaret Bryan uh, was uh, taken away from Elizabeth to Hmm. be the governess of young Edward. Um, A new governess was assigned to Elizabeth. Her name was Cat Ashley, and uh, she would remain uh, Elizabeth's governess and a close confidant uh, well uh, uh, throughout Elizabeth's life. Um, While uh, part of being a a young lady... uh, while not exactly recognized as a princess any longer, uh, she was still recognized as the bastard son of the king. 
um, she was required to have an education, and she uh, took to this education uh, swimmingly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, From the age of three, uh, going on through her early uh, childhood, uh, she became fluent in five languages, Mm. uh, English, French, Dutch, Italian, Spanish. She was also able to translate classical languages, Greek and Latin. Um, at times, uh, the, the way that she was taught how to translate Latin is uh, by taking a, a uh, prose of Latin, translating it into English, and then translating her own English into Latin to see if it matched up with the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if she got any words wrong, uh, th- then she would be punished. Um, and, uh, she found such solace in doing this that she would continue to do these translations throughout the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she treated translating, uh, classic passages as other people would treat crossword puzzles. Um, this mm. was, uh, her escape from it all. She would, uh, it was almost like a meditation for her, uh, to, uh, do these, uh, translations. Uh, at just six years old, uh, Sir uh, Thomas Risley uh, came uh, to uh, visit uh, the young uh, lady, and he said that she uh, commanded herself with the gravity of a 40-year-old. Mm. Um, at the age of 12, uh, she was uh, writing translations uh, completely pristine. Uh, the, you can actually go to uh, libraries and museums and see um, the works that she had done, and it is almost like they've come out of a printing press. Mm. Uh, they are uh, so perfect, uh, no errors in them uh, whatsoever. Um, she eventually, as she grew up, had such a love of languages uh, that she would uh, learn uh, Welsh and both Scotch and Irish Gaelic. Mm. Uh, in the year uh, 1544, um, Henry decided uh, to uh, make a new law regarding uh, succession. So, of course, his son, Edward, would become uh, the next king of England, but should something happen to him afterwards, uh, his daughters would now be in the line of succession. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, uh, his oldest daughter, Mary, and then uh, the middle daughter, Elizabeth. Um, By this point, uh, Henry had... uh, So Jane Seymour, she died uh, very close to childbirth Mm -hmm. uh, after giving birth to Edward. Uh, He had then married uh, and then... uh, uh, the uh, I believe Anne of Cleves, who he did not find particularly attractive, and so uh, sought a divorce from her, and then married another woman who he beheaded, mm-hmm. um, and then had the final marriage to Catherine Parr. Uh, it was under Catherine that Elizabeth was brought back into court. Uh, Catherine very much saw herself as a stepmother to young Elizabeth. Um, she uh, became a, a close friend uh, uh, to Elizabeth uh, during uh, Henry's final years. Um, it is during this time that Elizabeth uh, had a portrait made for uh, her father. In it, you can see uh, how she viewed herself. She viewed herself as uh, the most studious. Uh, she is holding a book and she has her finger holding the place in the book that she is reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then next to it is a very large book, which is clearly meant to be the Bible, uh, showing uh, that the religion and knowledge are very much a key to who she is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
on uh, the 31st uh, of December uh, in 1544, uh, at around 2 a.m., Henry VIII uh, passed away. Um, outside his chambers, uh, the uh, Prince Edward, uh, his uncle, uh, Edward Seymour, uh, was pacing up and down as to how he was going to uh, take the reins of power and mm-hmm. rule for his young nephew. Um, eventually, uh, Edward Seymour, after three days, nobody knew that Henry had died, but uh, Uncle Seymour uh, got uh, young uh, Edward and Elizabeth uh, together and told them uh, that Henry had passed. Uh, in uh, the recollections of this moment, it is said that uh, young Edward and Elizabeth embraced and cried uh, mm. for several hours. Um, very shortly thereafter, young Edward, just nine years old, was uh, crowned Edward VI, uh, King of uh, England and Ireland. Um, Edward had uh, two uncles, uh, Edward uh, and Thomas Seymour. Um, the Seymours uh, were a very um, ambitious family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edward was made uh, the king's uh, uh, closest confidant and advisor. This left the younger brother, Thomas, um, very much clutching to any form of power that he could have. The first thing that Thomas did was that uh, he married uh, Catherine Parr, uh, the uh, former queen of England, uh, Henry's uh, only uh, wife who, uh, well, no, that's not quite right. He, not the only wife who survived, mm-hmm. um, but uh, there were some that he divorced instead of beheading, mm-hmm. but the last wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Thomas Seymour married Catherine Parr. Um, Catherine uh, took it upon herself to take in uh, the 14-year-old Elizabeth, and they all lived together together. Uh, Thomas Seymour, Catherine Parr, and Elizabeth um, at their uh, manor house in Chelsea. Um, Well, Thomas was not content uh, at just being the husband of the former queen. Um, He wanted to see if he could maybe become the husband of the future queen. Um, So while uh, he uh, was married uh, to Catherine Parr, um, he started what many people would view today as a campaign of grooming uh, and abuse uh, of the young Elizabeth. Um, He uh, was known to have romps with Elizabeth and uh, wrestling and tickling her. Uh, Mm. At at one point, Catherine uh, was even uh, taking part in this, and she held Elizabeth down as um, Thomas uh, took uh, a sword and and cut uh, Elizabeth's dress to bits. Okay. Um, That's not good. Thomas was found in Elizabeth's bedchambers often, um, uh, tickling and uh, some accounts even say uh, uh, spanking her. Um, Eventually, Elizabeth would make sure that she was awake with maids in the room at the earliest possible moment Mm -hmm. in the morning to make sure that Thomas uh, could not uh, come in and visit her. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, uh, Catherine became pregnant uh, with Thomas's child. Uh, well, this meant that she was uh, no longer able to have relations with Thomas, and Thomas uh, sought uh, comfort in Elizabeth. Uh, at one point, uh, Thomas and uh, Elizabeth were caught embracing, and Catherine uh, decided that uh, uh, Elizabeth would need to be sent away. Mm -hmm. Whether that was because of some form of jealousy or for Elizabeth's own protection, Mm -hmm. it may be a combination of the both. Um, 
in on that date in 1548, that is the last time that Catherine and Elizabeth ever saw each other. Uh, Catherine would die during childbirth. Uh, that left uh, in September of 1548, um, Thomas, a now single man. Uh, he immediately started a campaign to uh, marry the young Elizabeth. Um, he went. Uh, he did everything except do the thing that he was supposed to do, which is consult the king's privy council. Because Elizabeth was a an heir, uh, though farther down on the line of succession, still an heir, the king's privy council would have to decide as to her uh, who her uh, husband would be. Uh, he sent lots of uh, messages to Elizabeth. At one point after uh, Catherine's death, um, uh, uh, her governess, Cat uh, Ashley, who was quite smitten with Thomas herself uh, and encouraged the match, uh, said, Elizabeth, you should uh, send a letter to console uh, Thomas uh, Seymour. Mm. And Elizabeth is quote to say that, uh, I don't believe Thomas needs any consoling. Mm -hmm. Um, eventually, uh, Thomas decides that he's going to go around the Privy Council, and he's going to talk directly to the king himself. Uh, so, uh, young Edward uh, was in his bedchambers uh, in uh, January of 1549, and uh, Thomas decided to go in. Hi, it's Uncle Thomas. It's the middle of the night. I would like to talk to you about marrying your sister. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, he did so, and he was clutching a sword while he was doing it. Uh, whether he was planning to abduct the young king or uh, I, we don't know. What we do know is that one of the spaniels started barking mm -hmm. uh, uh, at this. Uh, stranger, stranger uh, yes. in, uh, in uh, the king's bedroom. Uh, Thomas uh, ran through uh, the young dog uh, with his <gasps> sword. Uh, that alerted uh, all of the guards to arrest uh, Thomas. Uh, so, um, in my mind, he was worthy of beheading right uh, then and there for uh. killing for killing a precious little puppy dog. Um, but uh, it would take a little bit of while to do a full investigation on this. Uh, the person in charge of the investigation was uh, Thomas's brother, Edward Seymour. Mm. Uh, who had no sign of affection for his brother and wanted to make sure that he uh, was dealt with um, in an extreme uh, uh, manner and that Elizabeth was dealt with too, believing that Elizabeth was in on this plot to possibly kill the king. Oh, my. So uh, through many levels of intense interrogation with Elizabeth's um, uh, uh, servants, uh, it was found out that Thomas was trying to marry Elizabeth. Uh, they found out about all of the romps and the um, uh, uh, abuse uh, that Elizabeth mm. was subject to, but they all believed that Elizabeth was complicit in it. Uh, in a very long interrogation that they had with Elizabeth, Elizabeth laid it all out and said, yes, that he was trying to court me, but that I was not seeking this affection in any way. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much leaving it as an open and shut case that Thomas should be beheaded, um, but that she should be left alone. And even though uh, Edward Seymour uh, still wanted to very much get rid of Elizabeth, um, there was no evidence to prove that she uh, was guilty of anything. And so uh, she was let go, uh, but uh, Thomas uh, Seymour was beheaded. 
Mm, um, good. This, I'm sorry, this, but I think he needed to be beheaded. He needed to be beheaded a long time before this. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this uh, had a profound impact on young Elizabeth, that she saw that Thomas wasn't really interested in her for any sort of affection or romantic reasons. It was a way to get to power. Uh, and so she viewed all sexual relationships and romantic entanglements uh, through this lens mm. that um, she uh, is not desired for herself, but instead what she can give to other people mm. and especially other men. Um, after this, Elizabeth completely transformed the way that she looked. Um, she would go into court and have very plain hair, uh, not wear a lot of jewels, uh, wear very dark colors uh, to uh, see that she was not some uh, a hussy who was trying to see all of the affection uh, of these young nobles. Instead, she was a modest uh, maiden, mm-hmm. um, uh, which played very well into the um, Protestant court uh, of uh, Edward VI. Um Edward, though, uh, he, he was a very sickly boy, um, and uh, he died uh, at the age of 15 uh, mm-hmm. from tuberculosis. Uh, there was a, an attempt to try and make anyone else queen uh, besides uh, the sister Mary, but the law laid it out very clearly that Henry VIII set out that Mary uh, would be the next queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, attempted a coup to try and get Lady Jane um, uh I I forget her last name, but Lady Jane to become queen. But uh, that did not work. And Mary was made queen and Mary made sure that Lady Jane was beheaded. Uh Uh, Now, the biggest problem in the eyes of the Seymours and many people in England with Mary becoming queen is that Mary was not Protestant. Mary was still a practicer of what they would call the old faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was Catholic. Um, she, uh, demanded that everyone in court have Catholic mass. Um, Elizabeth refused, uh, to attend Catholic mass. Uh, after, uh, several weeks of this, um, she, uh, uh, Mary demanded that Elizabeth go to mass and Elizabeth went into the chambers of Mary and wept at her feet saying, Please forgive me, uh, your majesty, but I have never been taught uh, the ways of the old religion. Um, I need to have a priest instruct me as to what you do during a Catholic Mass. Uh, And so she, uh, Mary, uh, acquiesced to this request, and Elizabeth was instructed. It finally came to the day where Elizabeth was believed to uh, uh, know enough about the Catholic religion to attend Mass, and that Sunday Elizabeth got uh, painfully ill uh, with a stomach ache Mm -hmm. and uh, could not attend Mass. Um, This uh, further uh, drew a fissure between uh, Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, Another aspect of this deteriorating relationship would be Mary's relationship with Prince Philip of Spain. Mary decided to ensure that England would remain a Catholic nation for generations to come by marrying the future king of Spain, mm-hmm. Philip. This did not go over well with uh, many of the Protestant people uh, in England. And there was uh, an English uh, nobleman named Thomas Wyatt, who in January of 1554 uh, sent a letter to Elizabeth. 
as saying that he was planning a rebellion, that he was going to um, uh, uh, take over uh, London and he was going to make sure that this marriage did not happen and would kill Queen Mary if he had to. Uh, And he wanted to know if he had Elizabeth's uh, blessing with this uh, because Elizabeth would then become queen. Uh, She quickly threw away the letter uh, Mm -hmm. into the fire and she replied to the messenger, when and if that time comes, I will do as God will direct me. That means nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas Wyatt's rebellion was quickly crushed uh, by uh, Queen Mary. And uh, he, uh, I believe he was not just beheaded. He was drawn and quartered as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, because of this, though, all of the Catholic nobles uh, in Queen Mary's court uh, saw Elizabeth as an absolute threat. She was a heartbeat away um, from uh, the crown mm-hmm. and was very much a Protestant and could give hope to all these people. And so uh, they convinced Mary, though I don't think it took very much convincing, uh, to lock uh, Mary up in the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to this, uh, the night before, um, th- Elizabeth was so afraid for her her own life uh, going to the Tower of London. Very few people go to the Tower and then come back out. Mm -hmm. Um, She recalled her own mother going to the Tower of London Mm -hmm. and losing her head. Um, She took the time to write a letter to uh, Queen Mary, uh, beseeching her um, that she had nothing to do with Wyatt's rebellion, that she has been the um, the, the most uh, uh, servient uh, to uh, Queen Mary. And uh, uh, she took such a long time writing this letter. It was two full pages, and then she uh, stopped uh, writing at the uh, about the halfway mark uh, of the second page. And in order to make sure that no one would forge uh, her own someone else's thoughts into the rest of the letter, she marked through diagonal lines going to the bottom of the page to make sure that no one else would be able to write anything um, for her. And mm-hmm. then at the very bottom said, I am your a noblest servant. Uh, I will serve Serve you, the true queen of England, uh, until my very last breath, mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. This did not pr- prevent her from going to the tower, but it did prevent her from going to the tower that day mm-hmm. because she took such a long time writing the letter that the tides were too high to successfully get her into the tower. Mm-hmm. Um, queen Mary did not respond to the letter. Uh, so the next day, Mary was taken into the tower. Uh, it was a, a drizzling uh, day uh, in, in March uh, 18th uh, of uh, 1854 when Elizabeth found herself uh, going down the Thames to the Tower of London. Uh, when she got to the steps uh, to the tower, uh, they were very slick, and uh, she was having trouble uh, st- standing and balancing mm-hmm. herself on them. Uh, and she looked at the guards uh, and said, I never thought to come here as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. I beseech you all, my friends and fellows, that I come here no traitor, but a true subject to the queen, uh, as uh, to the queen's majesty, uh, as anyone else alive. The soldiers uh, who were meant to be her guards uh, were so uh, wept, caught up in the emotion of the moment that they fell to their knees mm-hmm. and said, "God save your grace." Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a uh, 
sometime during here that, uh, uh, well, in May, actually, is when she is released uh, from the Tower of London and taken to the Tower of Woodstock. Mm. Um, Snoopy was nowhere to be found. (laughs) Um, So, and while she is kept at the Tower of Woodstock, she is under house arrest. So a little bit better than being in the Tower of London, um, but not by much. Uh, She was very much still seen as a prisoner. And it's during this time that she sends the letter to John Dee uh, to uh, see what the stars have to say about uh, her life. Will she be killed uh, mm. in the very near future? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, If she does become queen, will she be a good one? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and John Dee sends his reply that uh, she is not going to die soon. And if she becomes queen, she will be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Um, John Dee was actually uh, locked up in prison himself for doing this. <laughs> uh, and he uh, was uh, kept in a dungeon. Um, but uh, he was not uh, actually executed by Queen Mary. Um, in April of 1555, uh, Queen Mary sent for Elizabeth, uh, because she, uh, Queen Mary, was about to have a child and wanted Elizabeth to be there to serve her um, while uh, uh, this birth was happening. But this was one of Queen Mary's phantom pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Um, She uh, was not actually pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Queen Elizabeth was no longer held in uh, captivity. She was uh, allowed to return to court. Uh, though Elizabeth didn't really want to return to court. Court was filled with lots of palace intrigue and uh, a a lot of people who viewed her as a bastard and viewed her very negatively. Mm -hmm. Um, In the fall of 1555, she asked Queen Mary if she could return to her uh, estate in Hatfield uh, so that she could escape uh, the court uh, and escape what was about to become uh, one of the bloodiest persecutions of Protestants uh, in English history. Mm. Uh, Queen Mary acquiesced, and Elizabeth was allowed to return to the country as uh, Queen Mary went on a tirade, um, capturing Protestants and burning them at the stake. Um, Those uh, captors uh, who were uh, somewhat... um, uh, 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 who... who, uh, Those captors uh, who were... Uh, kinder to uh, their captives, uh, would actually put uh, piles of gunpowder uh, mm. underneath uh, the Protestants so that they would instead be killed by explosion mm-hmm. instead of roasting to death. Mm. Um, this Protestant Catholic uh, uh, violence was not rare uh, at this time, uh, and a lot of uh, Protestants and Catholics did this to each other, both mm. in England and throughout uh, Europe at this time. Uh, but uh, this was, uh, in Elizabeth's eyes, uh, a very heinous time. Mm-hmm. Um she uh, remained at Hatfield uh, in her estates and then uh, for three years. And on November 17th of 1588, a messenger came. Uh, she, they arrived at Hatfield and found Elizabeth out amongst the trees in the park. Uh, they found Elizabeth at one of the largest oak trees that they that there was, and uh, the messenger fell uh, on his knees and proclaimed that Mary had died, uh, mm. and that you are now the Queen of England. Mm. Uh, immediately, uh, Elizabeth uh, recited a part of Psalm one o eight, ad domino factum est admirable in oculis nostris. 
This is the Lord's doing, mm. and it is marvelous in our eyes. Mm. Um, she was taken uh, to uh, London. Uh, but was not coronated yet because she had to first uh, get uh, one of her friends out of jail, the man, John D. Mm-hmm. And together, him, uh, John D. and Queen Elizabeth uh, decided as to what the best coronation date would be. Mm-hmm. What is the date that the stars would uh, shine on the reign of Queen Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. And they came uh, with Sunday, the 15th of January. 1559. And uh, on that date is when uh, she was made a queen of uh, England, Ireland, and Wales Mm -hmm. uh, at Westminster Abbey. And uh, that is where uh, I'm going to uh, leave us. And uh, we will pick up with the story of Elizabeth at some later date. Um, But I will say that even in just this part uh, Mm -hmm. of her life, there are already so many things that uh, are true uh, with the findings (laughs) uh, that uh, were uh, discovered in her chart. (laughs) Well, that's very interesting. I have to say that... um... Well, one, you picked the best subjects, Chandler. It's really good. I mean, it's a wonderful story. We don't have a whole lot of stories of women in power. And there's a lot of women in power in this story. And um, I did enjoy reading her chart. And it's very interesting that um, I I could say by, you know, with her having Capricorn rising and, and you you asking me those questions and me being able to answer them the same way that John D did i'm very flattered and and kind of honored that i was able to pull that off oh well, yeah i uh, and i i will say there's only one thing though is that John D was doing it and he didn't know half of the planets uh, that we know now, mm. and uh, he had to do it with the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took him a little longer to make the chart. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I think that both of you uh, did a good job uh, in uh, in reading the stars as they uh, shined on uh, a young Elizabeth. Well, I find it fascinating, and I actually did. You know, I hate to say it, but <laughs> I learned how to cast charts from books. That's how I learned. That was the original. We had blank charts and we would fill them in with the information that we would find in the books. So, you know, I I am not unfamiliar with that way of casting Mm -hmm. charts. (laughs) Uh, Is there uh, anything else that uh, makes sense to you now uh, that you know who it is? Oh, yes. It all makes so much sense now that I know who it is because... um, it, it it just all flows perfectly well. You know, the languages and the, the, the ambition to, you know, translate the languages and, and uh, just everything. Everything makes perfect sense that this is Queen Elizabeth. Uh, well, I would say uh, on our chart of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is another one right on the money. Uh, <laughs> this is... Uh, who Elizabeth uh, was, and uh, in uh, uh, in our uh, experiments uh, further on, we'll see even more how accurate this chart was. <laughs> this sounds great. I look forward to these experiments, Chandler. <laughs> 
Uh, well, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. I'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if uh, you'd like to uh, support the show, we have all the links to our social media um, uh, included in the show description. Uh, also, something that I sometimes forget to uh, ask for is if you could please uh, rate and review the podcast. Uh, both Spotify and Apple allow you to uh, rate uh, the podcast, and Apple allows you to uh, leave a review uh you know this is a podcast all about stars so uh, five stars would help us uh greatly in uh, getting the word out about our little show uh we also have in the show description a link to our paypal account every little bit helps us in uh, providing a better quality show and uh, getting the word out there about our show uh we also have a link uh, if anyone is interested in having your chart cast uh, just as elizabeth was just done um uh, please uh, read Reach out and email Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com and we'll give you the details as to how you could have your very own uh, chart read uh, by uh, my mom. <laughs> yes, I'd love to do that. And there's no apostrophe in Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com. And that email is going to be put, if it isn't already, Chandler, on the Facebook uh, page and probably all the social media. We're also working on a website where you can. Uh, chat directly with us um, through uh, messages and email. And I have enjoyed greatly doing the charts that I've done so far. And it's really fun to have the people who have had me do their chart just sort of message me and go, what's happening in the stars right now for me? And it's really kind of fun. So that's fun. Maybe that might be something later we do by subscription. I don't know. But I'm really enjoying getting to know you. And I look forward to meeting more of you and um, doing more charts. Uh, yes, and uh, Mom, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I just really enjoyed this um, this uh, episode with Queen Elizabeth, and um, I think, yeah, just thank you all for listening, and thank you for being there, and, you know, drop us a line. We will answer you. Uh, yes, uh, we're uh, very eager to hear uh, from uh, any and all of you. Uh, so I think that brings us to uh, the conclusion of the episode. So as always in conclusion, I will say, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.